Welcome to Advance Your Art. If you are interested in making money from your art, using your artistic background to your advantage when switching careers, or if you are just plain stuck, you've come to the right place. Now let's get started and have some fun with your host, Yuri Cataldo. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Advance Your Art with Yuri Cataldo. Every week I sit down with a creative entrepreneur to discuss the who, what, where, when, and why of their journey. If you're interested in learning how to build a company, make money from your art, or transition to a new career, you've come to the right place. And always, please remember to like, subscribe, and share this episode with a friend. Today I'm sitting down with Melanie Weller, physical therapist and medical visionary. Melanie, hello. Welcome to the show. How are you today? Thank you so much for having me, Yuri. I'm very well. Thank you. Excellent. So so uh, how are things in your neck of the woods right now, like where you're physically located? Uh, I'm in New Orleans, Louisiana, in the midst of coronavirus and post-election stress. This is definitely taking a deep breath. We've been fairly stable with our coronavirus numbers, so it's not, uh, but we were really bad early on. Yeah. So um, I think we're, the hardest thing, or I won't say it's the hardest thing, but the, we've had a lot of hurricanes this season too. So yep. we're all just a little weary for, <laughs> from that as well. Um, but, you know, but things are good. It's always, uh, I live next door to a uh, Deacon John, who's locally a very well-known musician. And mm-hmm. when I see him and ask him how I am, how he is every day, he says, it's not easy living in the big easy. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's been his answer to me for the last 10 years when I asked yeah. him how he is. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that's a, sounds pretty fair. Oh, that's it's always great. fun too. Yeah. Oh, good, good, good. Uh, I'm, so I'm, I'm, I'm jealous. Um, I was supposed to go down to, oh, I was going to come down for Jazz Fest this year. And of course, because of the pandemic, everything got canceled, but it was like, I've been trying to find more ways to go down to New Orleans and the pandemic has thrown all of those, <laughs> throw a wrench into everything. I mean, along with everybody else's travel plans. Absolutely. But, absolutely. But yeah, but I absolutely love the city. So that's, that's so great. Um, so for my listeners who are less familiar with, with what you do, how do you describe yourself and what you do? In conventional terms, I'm a stress management expert. And that's really what I've helped people with for a long, long time. My clinical expertise is in treating the vagus nerve as a pinch nerve. And your vagus nerve is the biggest component of your parasympathetic nervous system, which counters your fight and flight responses and it's your grace under pressure your rest and digest it's your pleasure pathway and I believe it's also where our intuition and innovation come through as well Mm -hmm. I often I really struggled with uh, just in the development of my own business is how to identify myself because I synthesize myth and medicine and uh, metaphysics and many concepts that seem disparate to bring them all together. And I am, while I have a, uh, I always thought my destiny was to be a highly credentialed physical therapist. 
I very much feel like my, I ended up falling apart a number of years ago to come back together. And I feel most comfortable as a highly credentialed high priestess. Hmm. When I show up in that, in that role, that's when I feel like, or at least in, in my, you know, energetically, I show up in that role, however that is, even when I go to teach medical, medical residents, <laughs> things like that, <laughs> that that's when I am the most powerful and thing when I'm most in flow. Mm-hmm. Mm, great. So, so let's start from the beginning a little bit. And, and so what initially made you interested in, in studying to be a physical therapist? Mm. I love, I don't think I ever outgrew my three or four year old little girl that wanted to know why all the time, Mm -hmm. want to know why everything worked the way it worked. And I was an athletic trainer in college and I just loved the puzzle of figuring out people's injuries. And then I went to physical therapy school and I had an amazing education at the University of Southern California. And shortly after graduation, a year or two, I ended up working with patients that had been around the block several times that had not found success yet. And my husband was in the Navy for 20 years and we moved quite frequently. And wherever we moved, these people found me. It didn't matter where I went. <laughs> the, you know, the, these people that had been around the block a number of times were the ones that, that I attracted and, and that I had a certain skill level with because of my education and some mentoring that I had. And because I just really loved the puzzle. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these people are very much not heard you know, they go to the doctor and they tell their story and they feel like nobody's really listening to them. And what I learned in helping these people was that what was happening inside of their body, very metaphor was happening outside. And it was always a very interesting story to draw those parallels. And my superpower is really in helping people with the spiritual and stress-related underpinnings of their physical dysfunction. Mm -hmm. And medically, we know that stress is 75 to 90% of all disease and illness, but we don't really dig into very specifically what that stress is and how is that playing out in our lives. We might define it medically in terms of measuring the vagus nerve or you know, we might say that people need to go meditate or have a mindfulness practice. But what I've come to understand over the years is how mythology was really a mode of scientific writing and that stories really hold the keys to these spiritual and stress-related underpinnings that drive all of our physical dysfunction. And if we can combine story with medicine and use story as medicine, there is, it is very, stress manifests very predictably in the body. And if you can read your patient like a book, 
then you know how to treat the story. And when you treat somebody's physical body, sometimes their story will change. But when you treat their story, their physical body always changes. Interesting. So tell me more about this, the story that you brought up a couple of times. Is that like, because I've, I've, I've heard of like the idea of there are stories that each of us tell ourselves about, mm -hmm. let's say the world or what's happening. Is that the story you're talking about? Or is there like, like an actual how we hold ourselves. And oh, I think there's an actual, how, there's an internal cosmology that yeah. we have many uh, cultural mythologies to work with. So the easiest way to understand this is through Western mythology, what, okay. I'm sorry, Western astrology, though it works with uh, Hindu tradition and Egyptian tradition, you can really, uh, there's just fundamentals to this. So the circles in our brain that cerebral spinal fluid look very much like the ram's horns that represent Aries. And in astrology, Aries rules the head. Mm -hmm. And the way the hyoid bone in our throat sits on top of our larynx looks very much like the symbol for Taurus and Taurus rules the throat. And our aortic arches are the same shape as the symbol for Leo and Leo rules the heart. And it works this way the whole way through the body. So you can use the story then as a reflective tool to help to see how this story is literally playing out in your life. And even how, like if we go to Aries, you know, that Aries is represented by the ram and the ram has horns. You can ask yourself, where am I locking horns? Hmm. With people, you know, you can take the animal archetype, you can take the story archetype, but you can hmm. really work with the archetype. You can meditate on the archetype. You can use art. I have, uh, I, often use art with my patients and I've taught my process as an art class uh, with a, an artist before to help people. Really, we, I did it around the bowl and the throat and the voice and finding your sacred voice. Mm -hmm. And I use it with uh, theater students to help them imagine the archetype of the character they're embodying and that character's voice and so this so it works across many platforms but when uh but there's just this fundamental way that the cosmos is coded into us mm -hmm. and I've created an energy medicine paradigm out of it as well that I teach to other medical professionals and healers of different kinds. Yeah. Oh, that's fascinating. Okay. So how does this, so with, with that element, how mm -hmm. does this relate then to the, the, the vagus nerve? The vagus nerve. Yeah. The vagus nerve and, and you know, what initially got you interested in like focusing in on that particular mm -hmm. nerve of everything else? Of everything else. So yeah. the, what initially got me interested was some osteopathic training that I had early in my career. And a lot of what was presented to the vagus nerve was in, was decompress, decompressing it at the base of the skull. So giving it more space to move there. And that that was helpful for infinite we're experiencing colic or projectile vomiting it was helpful and it was especially helpful in chronic pain patients and that was a significant portion of 
who I, of my clientele at that point. And as the physical therapist, the biggest piece for me with the vagus nerve was that it uses the same neurotransmitter that your muscles do. And so when you give the vagus nerve more space to move, you get these really beautiful musculoskeletal shifts. And for example, I can decompress the vagus nerve at the base of the skull and it'll shift foot and ankle mechanics. It'll shift knee biomechanics. It'll open up the hip flexors very often. And so you get these beautiful systemic effects with it. And when I moved to New Orleans and started my own practice, I branded myself as a stress management expert and used I had a couple of vagus nerve decompression techniques in my pocket at that point, but I really spent a lot of time connecting these dots and studying the vagus nerve and looking at how it really travels head to toe and which range of motion restrictions go with the nerve being pinched where and kind of created an algorithm of that. And your vagus nerve is really the bridge between your story and your body. And when your story is, stress and trauma, your vagus nerve gets dialed down. Most of us are really familiar with when our vagus nerve is not working well. That's when we go to, say, do a public speaking engagement or something that would make us similarly nervous. And we get a lump in our throats and our palms start to sweat and our hearts race and our digestion shifts because those are all vagus nerve mediated functions. So your vagus nerve goes all the way from your brainstem down to the, your pelvis. It innervates your heart and then loops back up to innervate your vocal cords. So I like to think of it as the nerve that allows you to speak your heart. It travels down your esophagus through your diaphragm to innervate the muscles of your digestive system. It's involved in digestive enzyme secretion and nutrient absorption and bile secretion. Uh, it's really, it's your gut brain. It's the neural mechanism for your gut brain. And it's the neural mechanism for your heart brain. And there are way more connections within your vagus nerve going up to your brain than there are going from your brain down to your vagus nerve. In the research, vagus nerve stimulation remaps your brain at the highest levels. And it has incredible immune benefits too. How well your vagus nerve function has predictive value for how long people with cancer will live. It reverses uh, mitochondrial defects deep in the cells that go with heart disease. And there's just, I mean, the research is endlessly amazing that it's what in general, when your vagus nerve is functioning better, you are healthier, you feel better, it mediates inflammation, um, you are more centered, you have better longevity, and you experience more pleasure. The research shows that women with complete spinal cord injuries, meaning that they have no function below the level at which they're injured, can achieve orgasm with its nerve stimulation at the cervix because it's outside of the spinal cord, so it's not affected like that. And sexual arousal in general is a 
parasympathetic response. And so the vagus nerve has a big role in experiencing pleasure as well. And in the way that it innervates that second chakra area where we, where all babies come from, you know, that's to me, it's really the seat of creativity, whether you're making love or babies or business or art, that, you know, that's the energetic center. And so, and your vagus nerve really spans the, uh, the realm of creativity to creative expression. It goes from your second to your fifth chakra. Yeah. How, how do you know then if your nerve is blocked and how do you, mm-hmm. like, how can you, is there, are there easy exercises to un, unblock it? Or like, how does, how does that system work? Yes. I have, if you go to my website, the opt-in box is in the footer of my homepage and it will email you a free vagus nerve decompression course. Oh, great. And it shows you how to evaluate and treat yourself. And I take you through the whole system head to toe. Generally speaking, when your vagus nerve is compressed, you lose rotation. So we know that trauma always affects the voice and the breath Mm -hmm. and your vocal cords and diaphragm are horizontally oriented in your body. So they're in our rotational plane. And the pelvic floor is horizontal in the body too. So we have, we have this horizontal system in our body that responds to stress. And so, and, and trauma. And so when, when we get stressed or traumatized, it compresses all the vertical structures that are going through it. So, and it's not just the vagus nerve, it's going to compress arteries and veins and lymphatics and other things that are going vertically and energetics as well. And we lose flow internally. So then we lose flow externally and that can show up as pain. It can show up as obstacles. It can show up as leadership blockages. It can show up as obstacles to business. There are many, many ways that uh, it can show up, but it's, it's all connected to those spiritual underpinnings of the physical dysfunction. But in general, it'll lock up rotation. And in very, when rotation is most severely locked up, I, um, and I define that when I see it in a very severe situation, I will call it vagus nerve lockdown, that it's not just compressed, that people are just really, really locked down. And they might appear to be moving okay. It's not like they're walking like Frankenstein or anything that were, would seem very odd. But we're all, we're all very masterful compensators when it comes to movement. And we all take the path of least resistance. But when people are really in this vagus nerve lockdown state, I will always ask them if they're having suicidal thoughts. And the answer is, if the answer is not yes to that, the answer is, I feel like I'm dying on the inside. I'll get one of those two answers. Oh, wow. And they are so locked down and so uh, they're like... For all the noise that I can palpate in somebody's body from my visceral training and uh, and and other trainings, they're very very quiet, almost like they're dead. Even though they're walking and talking and breathing and all, you know all those kinds of things, mm-hmm. but their internal world is so incredibly quiet. And I, it's my theory that 
their drive for suicide ideation is trying to match what's happening below above. They're kind of functionally dead internally because it's all so quiet. And so they're trying to bring that story into alignment outside of themselves. And mental health issues I find are really, are, are just so often driven by, I, I think they start in the body in a way that medicine hasn't really caught on with. That one of the things I see very often is that people are breathing almost entirely with the front of their rib cage and not breathing at all with the back of their rib cage. They'll breathe with the front and they'll breathe with their shoulders, with their upper and front part. And yeah. they'll come to me with anxiety, for example, and their vagus nerve is most certainly compressed at the base of their skull and at the backside of their heart and often some other places too. And, but, and get, give them the ability to breathe on the backside of their rib cage and the ability of their neck to rotate freely, they are way less anxious and all of their interventions work much better. And I think that we uh, really need to start measuring mental health, measuring the physical expression of mental health in the body, because there are very particular measurements that go with it. And I think the rotational piece of it goes back to the cosmology in all humans, the right side of the diaphragm has more muscle mass than the left. So theoretically, the right side will always win. And since most people are right-handed as well, I see a lot of people that are locked down on the right side of their diaphragm. However, the earth below us and the solar system above us all rotate the opposite direction. Hmm. And so I think we're out of alignment on this much bigger scale than we typically imagine. And the basic vagus nerve exercises will work fine for a lot of people in that, that you don't always have to go straight to the cosmic answer for it all. My, you know, the bulk, but the bulk of my experience is with people that have tried many, many other things. And so my life's work really is about defining this internal cosmology. And I think the vagus nerve is equivalent to the Laniakea supercluster of which our Milky Way galaxy is one little teeny tiny part. Mm -hmm. So you said something I think interesting in, in also with that is like about um, just our breathing patterns. And so I've, I've heard of people mm -hmm. You'd be encouraged to breathe from their diaphragm, but I haven't heard from the back of their rib cage. How do you do that? And is it is it similar to breathing from your diaphragm, or is it totally different? Oh, it's it's quite similar. You're still you still want to breathe down to your diaphragm, even if you're doing this. Yeah. So I can. Um, uh, so if you're listening to this right, I'll walk you through how to how to do this. <laughs> but I would suggest that if you're driving or operating any kind of machinery or kitchen tools to stop what you're doing <laughs> and give it your full attention. Yeah. <laughs> this is not something to necessarily multitask with the first time you do it. <laughs> so quite simply, you could just inhale into the backside of your heart and just expand your ribs. Try to put some air onto the backside of your heart. It's a weird thing for a lot of people. And I often, in, if when I'm, I work with people online also, when I'm yeah. with somebody, I, will usually put my hand there and tell them to breathe into my hand because having the tactile cue is 
helpful for that. Yeah. For the formal exercise, what I have people do is cross their ankle, their left one in front of the right and take their right hand and put it on their left shoulder with their elbow pointing forward mm -hmm. and take their left hand and put it in the small of their backs just comfortably with the back hand, uh, back of their hand against their low back. And if you can't get into this position for any reason, whether you have pain or any other limitations, it's fine. The great thing about your brain is it does not see doing something and imagining doing something as any different. So you could literally just imagine doing the exercise yeah. and it will work. The research shows that you can imagine doing bicep curls and you get stronger. So your imagination is incredibly powerful. <laughs> <laughs> and so then in this position, I have people inhale for a count of five into the backside of their hearts, hold it for a count of eight, and then exhale for a count of 13 or as long as they can. Mm -hmm. And I have them exhale like they're blowing up a balloon or blowing through a coffee straw, adding some resistance mm -hmm. to the air with their lips. Mm -hmm. And that works really beautifully to give more space back there. And for people that might be experiencing neck tightness or hip tightness or, you know, really pain anywhere that can resolve a lot of things in one fell swoop. And I will often add a story to this as I'm mm. teaching the exercise too, because the difference between acute subacute pain and chronic pain is that chronic pain gets locked into your limbic system, which is emotions are. And I would say that even our chronic limiting beliefs and chronic behaviors are probably in there too. And you can't logic yourself out of your limbic system. You need an emotional key to get the pain out of there. Mm -hmm. And there's a tribe in the, my favorite thing to, to say as people are doing this is that there's, and this is, I know you're going to ask me, uh, you said you're going to ask me what the best advice I ever got was. And right, this right, is it. yeah, okay. <laughs> and this is like, and I tell everybody. <laughs> the, uh, that you're, there's a tribe in the Andes Mountains that says your future is behind you, propelling you forward and your path in front of you, waiting for you to make peace with it and clear your way. And I love this idea that your future has your back mm -hmm. and that you can, and so as I have people breathe into the backside of their rib cage, I'll have them imagine that their future is there with them, that they're supported and that they're not having to go chase something down that's way out in front of them because that, would make anybody anxious. <laughs> <laughs> and so really to know that the universe has your back, mm -hmm. I think is uh, incredibly potent imagery that supports the exercise as well. Yeah, ah, I, I love that idea. It's very, very comforting to think that the, like no matter what, that the universe has your back. Yeah, so I mean, I. With so uh, the breathing and the stress relief that just kind of, it's hard to think about like stress and decouple it from what's happening right now. So we're, we're recording this right after the election um, in the middle of a pandemic. It's a stressful time, no matter who you are, where you live, like stress is, you know, is being Absolutely. elevated right now. So how are you 
talking to your clients and how like in your or personal life, how are you alleviating some of the external stress that's happening just because of where we live in the time that we live right now? For me, resolving or, or managing stress and dealing with stress is very much about treating myself first, mm -hmm. prioritizing self-care and really knowing that I'm at the center of it, whatever that, whatever it is. Yeah. And to really connect with how much power I have, like as I change, the world around me changes. And, you know, in these moments, we're always wanting to, you know, we, we really want to be everybody else's hero. You know, we want to be part of this bigger, you know, we want to save everybody that we can save and we want to help everybody. And, you know, certainly people are feeling helpless. They're feeling like they don't know what to do. Like they don't have options, like they need somebody to rescue mm -hmm. them. And certainly, and I don't want to minimize the, you know, I mean, that ends up being very severely true, certainly in some cases. But when you really work on yourself, you, everything around you starts to shift. And the story I often tell around this is when my son was about seven or eight and he was how to read and it was extremely painful. He was a little bit slower than his classmates to get it down. And then he labeled himself a bad reader and then he didn't want to read. And then it was a big fight. You know, it was, you know, there's a lot of resistance in creating a situation that was going to teach him how to read. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and the, um, and I had a breakthrough myself and within hours came up to me and said, mom, I'd like to write a book. And I said, great. <laughs> and I set him up on the computer with Word, and he learned how to read mostly through typing words and word spell check, <laughs> what he was doing. And, you know, but I literally got my crap out of the way. Like I got a segment of my own stuff out of the way. And he was able to expand. And I think that the root of all dysfunction whether it's a um, physical issue or a uh, like a business problem or a mindset problem is resisting our own expansion in an ever expanding universe. And in the way mindfulness practices overwhelmingly teach us to be present, that I think you know this is a lot about being present and controlling what you can control. And when you can find meaning in things too, and that's really so much the value of story, and this is well established in the psychiatric research, when you can find meaning in your trauma and when you can see it as an initiation and not a victimization, you know, and we all go through that victim portal at some point in our lives. Yeah. But when you, can, when you can really see what it's, that it's offering you an opportunity to step onto a bigger stage than you probably ever saw for yourself and to come together in a new way. The, in the Egyptian myth of Isis and Osiris, Osiris was the king of Egypt and his brother Set was angry and jealous and wanted to be king. 
and so set tricked Osiris into laying down in a bejeweled coffin, had his soldiers shut the lid, nail it, and take him to the Nile River to send him downstream to his death. Osiris's wife Isis found out about this and she retrieved his body, took him to a cave and breathed new life into him. When Set found out about this, he was furious. And he tracked down Osiris and chopped his body into pieces, scattering the pieces down the Nile. Mm -hmm. Isis again found out about this, retrieved all of his pieces, took him back to the cave. She was able to find everything except for his phallus and for that she made a new one. She brought him back to life long enough to conceive their divine child, Horus. And then Osiris went on to be king of the underworld, which for the Egyptians was where all life came from and all treasures were found. And we use dismemberment metaphors in our life all the time. We're falling apart. We can't get it together. Our hearts are broken. Our lives are shattered. And when I imagine being in that story of Isis and Osiris, outside of Seth's circle, everybody certainly thought that Osiris's destiny was to be the king of Egypt. Mm -hmm. And he literally had to come apart and come back together in a new way to find his true destiny as king of the underworld. And I think that's a very universal story. And that the stress and trauma is offering us both on the individual level and the collective level to come together in a new way. Medicine as an industry has a terrible Osiris wound everything's chopped into pieces and one part doesn't know what the other part's doing or where it is, <laughs> you know, and we certainly see this in our politics, mm -hmm. in our communities. And I think that using the vagus nerve as a model for thought leadership and for biomimicry can help us all be organically healthier. Yeah, that's, wow, that's very interesting. I had so I, I, so I'm, thank you so much for telling these stories because these are, it's always great to be reminded of, of the different stories that happen throughout the, the times and, and um, I really like how you bring them back to not only to your own work, but also what's happening like in, in our day-to-day -day lives. So how are you, so we kind of talked about this actually beforehand about how kind of like external forces like branding and other things are affecting our personal stories. So could you tell me a little bit more about that? Or like how, because I think this also is a, could also come like draw into like what's happening on the political landscape because pol politics mm -hmm. is very much about branding and what they're presenting. So how Absolutely. are what yeah. like, politicians and corporations and the external world, advertising world throwing at us, how is that affecting us internally? Sure, yeah, no, I, I love this question and I can bring it back to the politics for sure. The uh, so in the way that I described earlier that we have a, you know, RAM archetypes fit in our heads, archetypes fit in our throats, and yeah. archetypes fit in our hearts. When uh, media logos are an easy place to talk about this. So, for example, the logo for ABC, circle just with ABC, and it's very much a uh, larynx where our vocal cords are is circular and that's mm -hmm. the space from which we say our ABCs. NBC's logo, the peacock, mm -hmm. sits very well in our heads. We have a bone behind our eyes that looks like an owl or looks like a winged animal. So that peacock, those winged animals very nicely in our, behind our eyes. 
-hmm. and into our temples. And CNN's logo looks very much like DNA. Hmm. And uh, FedEx's logo fits really nicely in the spine. It's got an arrow that runs through it. Your spine, your sacrum at the bottom of your spine is pointed like the tip of an arrow. And so it's got a very spinal uh, logo that um, going back to the head and the bird, the United States has mm -hmm. the symbol for the United States being the eagle. You know, we have that on our the seal on our money, you know, on the dollar yeah. bill. And that sits very well in that part of our heads. The symbol though, uh, the, in the symbol, the, in the seal, the claws of the eagle and the mouth are full. And so we value freedom in this country, but our symbol is this very loaded down eagle mm -hmm. that doesn't strike me as being completely free. <laughs> There's a little bit of an illusion in, in there. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, these symbols can be used very tragically. And I think they have in the past. I, I really, I don't know the research around this, but I really believe the Nazis understood this quite well. And the way that their logo was an eagle with a circle holding a circle with a swastika in it, that that was how they literally people's minds and voices mm -hmm. with that, because that logo sits very well in the head and the, and the voice. And so in terms of our politics, if we're going to take the elephant of the Republicans and the donkey of the Democrats, the elephant is a, is a cleaner fit into the body, but the Hindu deity Ganesh, which is an elephant headed, is an elephant headed deity, mm -hmm. is represented on the underside of the brain where the cerebellum are the ears and the brain is the trunk, mm -hmm. Ganesh. And the uh, Osiris's brother that tricked him into lying down in that coffin, but was also really his taskmaster to his true destiny. You know, if we're going to take a lighter side of <laughs> that, you know, um, right. is uh, was represented as a donkey-headed god at times as well. And I think you know, donkeys are really known for their sure-footedness. You know, on the edges of cliffs and things like that. And so, to me, the donkey really lives at the feet. Mm -hmm. you know, that there's a strong foot aspect to it and the way that our feet are horizontal to the ground and we, and they're really part of that whole horizontal of trauma that they're, you know, that um, where we come and get broken into pieces. But I think we really come together in our breath and we come mm -hmm. together at the diaphragm mm -hmm. because our breath is our, is what defines our earthbound experience in the first place. And our hearts sit right on top of our diaphragms like a sunrise or a sunset. I think our diaphragms are our personal earth, it's our horizon. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the space where we have to really come together that we can't be all in the head or all at the feet, you know, and that's the polarity that we're experiencing, that we've got one at one end and one at the other end. And we have, to, whenever there's a polarity, 
there's always a third thing. And I think we're just not seeing it in terms of the earth and the North Pole and South Pole. The third thing is the Earth's electromagnetic field. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for me, our vagus nerves make our electromagnetic fields of our hearts. And research shows that our uh, that when solar and space weather disrupts the electromagnetic field of the earth, it's measurable in our vagus nerve. It, our heart synchronizing with, you know, even way out with the earth and beyond. Yeah. And the, uh, and so there's always a, you know, there's just always a third thing that we need to see. There's always something else that's true and it's very convenient. Uh, we're all wired for what's familiar, not what's right for us. You know, that's <laughs> overall the research supports <laughs> yeah. supports that. And um, we we get essentially addicted to being right. And we've all worked for somebody, we've known somebody who's addicted to being right, you know, and they're having a dopamine cocktail in their head. They're high, they feel amazing. We all feel amazing when we think we're right. <laughs> and the person on the other side of that conversation is having a cortisol cocktail. You know, they're having a stress cocktail and they feel terrible. And, um, but I think the answer is, you know, of that third thing is reimagining things in new ways and using biological and cosmological, using nature-based systems, using biomimicry to lead us because we are literally fractals. We are literally a microcosm of the macrocosm. And as we start structuring our schools and our workplaces and institutions in such a fashion, I believe we will come into much greater alignment to achieve things that are way beyond our wildest dreams. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really, so I, I so I thank you. I, I really appreciate your, your take on this. I really like the idea that um, <laughs> we should all meet in the middle of our breath and, and heart. That's, I think that's a, a beautiful way to kind of approach the chaos that's happening right now in the world around us. Um, so you've also been writing a book. I have. Uh, please tell me about your book. Well, the book is about my Osiris wound, yeah. you know, and certainly I, you know, for most of my life showed up for people, like I was the one that put everybody back together. And I had a period in my life where my body was falling apart. Mm -hmm. I was having a lot of foot pain and my blood pressure was really high and I thought I was taking care of myself <laughs> and uh, I, my marriage was under a lot of stress and I had a professional lawsuit brought against me as well. And so things were really crumbling on all dimensions. And I had, I, you know, I've spent most of my career collecting letters after my name. So I have a lot of them. Mm -hmm. And then uh, you know, and then I had this, you know, this really softer side of my, more intuitive side of my skills. And in the midst of all of this, it became very, I think I always, historically, I always thought my intuition and my logic were the same thing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so as all of that got peeled apart, I came into this information about how there are angles within the body that are the same angles as the tilt of the earth or that there are multiples of it and that these angles tie in very closely to the vagus nerve and to the things that I've been measuring for a long time and that for all of my ability to 
you know, intuitively pull something out of thin air or to give someone a, uh, a good mediumship reading, which is way off the chessboard as far as physical therapy, you know, and things like that go. Um, it, you know, the, the book is really like, them is really the reconciliation of all those. I spent a long time kind of being a, trying to put a square peg and hole doesn't work. And so I had to learn to structure, I, there was just a bigger calling. I had to structure my business that fit me because yeah. my life and my body were falling apart. And in doing so, and in really digging into myself, I, although spoiler alert, I saved my marriage. <laughs> I, uh, the, the lawsuit against me got dropped and my body is put together and, you know, my blood pressure is great, but I don't have any orthopedic pain. And so it's, uh, everything came back together, but I was really in pieces, uh, for a while, but, and, and I go through in the book, I go through each vagus nerve compression point mm. as what, and the symbol, the spiritual underpinnings of it as well. And, and to get into the story of it. And I start always with the, uh, kind of the stripped down version of it. Cause when I work with leaders or more corporate clientele, they don't always want so much, you know, exact mythology. But for example, when their vagus nerve is compressed at the base of their skull, their heroics and their desires are at odds with each other. Mm. And that's what we work with. And when you're compressed across your shoulders, it's when your adaptability and your emotions are at odds with each other. Mm. And so I have a whole system with the language really simplified so that, uh, so that this work can get into, uh, kind of get out of and really get in business space and corporate space. That's really where wellness starts. You know, wellness is keeping people out of my office in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, making it so you don't, you can figure it out on your own and you don't, you know, you don't end up with the physical manifestation of lack of flow and of this mm. stress in your body that you're able to have some tools and have the awareness to go, Oh, this is what's happening. Let me see how I can rebalance that. And we're not, you know, we all need help. We're not here to do it alone either, but it's really a whole new language in a way to very prescriptively put story and stress in the body. Okay. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, the book sounds absolutely amazing. I, I look forward to its, its release date. Um, thank you. As that comes to completion. So Melanie, thank you so much for taking the time today to chat with me. This has been um, a wonderful conversation here about your work and, and what you're doing. If the listeners would like to get in touch with you or read more about what you're, you're up to or even potentially buy your book when it's released, where are the best places they can go to do that? My website is melaniewellercom and it's got all of my contact information on there, please email me, send me a text, reach out to me. I love to hear from people. The, uh, my social media handles are all linked there on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. I'm at embody your star under my name. Okay. Wonderful. And I will make sure that there is a link in the show notes to all of those. Thank you so much, Yuri. This has been so much fun. 
Thank you, thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of Advance Your Art with Yuri Cataldo. If you like this episode, please remember to give us a five-star rating, like, and share with a friend. Our theme music is written and mixed by Chicago-based composer Ryan Black of Blackbones Collaborative. To listen to the full catalog of our episodes, go to advanceyourart.com. To see what I'm working on or book a time with me or buy a copy of my book, Be Left Behind, go to yuricataldo.com. Thank you so much and have a great day.